Thank you, Pastor Dane, for that awesome introduction. I greatly appreciate the honor is all mine. Uh, the message is called Created to be Victorious. Thank you, Adam, for the recap of Titus 1, Frank for recapping Titus 2, and Caesar for recapping Titus 3. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this day. Thank you for another day of life, Lord, and just use me to be a mouthpiece and a vessel for you, Father God. I pray that it pierces our hearts and allows us to live a different and better life for you, Father God, and that we're more rewarding for you. And what we do penetrates everyone's hearts, Father God, and that we live a better life, more rewarding at home for you, too, and be an elder starting there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I just want to thank the Lord for ways and maps, because that gives us direction how to get somewhere. And if you're like me, I'm horrible with directions. So I'm glad it guides us to where we go. If we type in the correct address, it'll lead us to where we want to go. If we ask the Lord where and what he wants to do with us, he will tell us. But be careful, guys, because, as you know, most of the time it won't be where we want to go, what we want to do, or in the manner that we want to go. In the same way, Titus provides us with the blueprint how we are to be as leaders, as the church, and as a body of Christ. The book of Titus should open our eyes and grab our attention as we should look to the Bible for instruction on how to live a life pleasing to our Lord. We can learn what we should avoid as well as that which we are to strive to imitate as well. Paul urges us to be pure as we avoid the things which will defile our minds as well. It is only when we listen and follow the commands of the Lord with an open heart when will lead us where we're supposed to go. The Bible will help us throughout life more than any news, social media, blogger, influencer, President of the United States, Vice President, Republican or Democrat, Green Party, Independent Party. For the word of God is active and alive, as it tells us in Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Titus 1 describes those requirements and duties of elders. But what I want to share with you this morning is elders and leaderships isn't just in the church. It's before we come into this building. It starts when we're at home as husbands, as fathers, as wives and mothers. The letters to Titus are extremely important for a godly leadership. We see in verses 5 through 10 that appointed elders are ones who follow Christ and who love what is good. We should love what God loves and we should do what God would do. And this one is extremely difficult. Be slow to anger and quick to forgive. As I was preparing for this message, uh, more times than not, honestly, I'm probably quick to anger and slow to forgive. How about you? Now, can you imagine if us elders who make decisions for the church, if we help with making those decisions for the church aren't aligned with Christ? 
If so, the church would be a disaster, it'd be a mess, it'd be broken. God wants us also to serve and live our lives with a cheerful heart and wants us to be examples of the flock and to the flock. And we're told this in 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. We should have a desire to serve. It should never be work. And we shouldn't dread it. We shouldn't hate doing it. In fact, we should enjoy it. It should be an honor and a reward to do so. And you understand something. A great church doesn't just consist of having a great pastor, a great associate pastor, pastor team or a great worship team. In fact, it's a lot deeper than that. Should also have great elders and leaders who all work cohesively together as one team to help further the kingdom of heaven. Life, as we know can be destructive, it can be extremely challenging. And it's during those times, much like Titus, when he was in Crete, anointed to anoint pastors of all nations, he, he had a challenging, challenging time ahead of him. And much of us have challenges ahead of us, or challenges will come our way, or are faced with challenges now. And those are the times when we tend to be the weakest, and the devil likes to whispers. Lies, lies of defeat, lies you're not worthy, lies that we must follow the ways of the world. And it saddens me to see many believers and followers believe these lies of the devil and lies of the enemy and allowing sin to be okay and allowing sin to enter our mind and also our hearts and to just continue to live this sinful life. And when we are told things that are opposite of what we know is right, what we truly believe, what we know that it's from God, that we know that it's from the devil. He will whisper fear, hatred, torment, depression over your life. But God, on the other hand, he'll speak love, comfort, direction, guidance, peace over your life. With that being said, you know, you see how much. Life is literally going to hell. Um, You see what's happening with Ukraine and Russia. You see what's happening in schools and what are being taught to our children. And you see what we think has been so accepted now that shouldn't be accepted anymore. And we need to stop settling for mediocre and start flexing our spiritual muscles for strength. Because Romans 12, 2, it warns us of this. It warns us and tells us that there will be a time in our life that this will happen. It tells us to not conform to the pattern of this world. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because once that happens, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. And a great example of this that we see in the word is when Paul's conversion took place. One of my favorite passages, actually, Philippians 121, which says for me, for to me to live 
is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is telling us that everything he tried to be, everything he is, and everything that he looks forward to in life should be laser focused on Christ. And what's awesome is from the time of Paul's conversion until the day he took his last breath here on earth, until he died and entered eternity, every move he made was towards advancing the knowledge, church, gospel of Christ and helping to further the kingdom of heaven. This is what we're also called to do, church, to rise up. And it's our responsibility and it's our duties to tell others about God and not be ashamed of the gospel, because to live is Christ is to proclaim the gospel of Christ and to be like Paul. Paul preached Everywhere and anywhere that he could because he was so excited about the Lord. He, he wanted to boast about Christ because he was so happy and he knew how great and awesome God was. So some of these places that he preached at were riversides, synagogues, and he preached as a prisoner even as well as an apostle. When life comes our way, we shouldn't be afraid at all. To preach the word of God. We shouldn't shove it down people's throats. But we also should not be afraid to share the word of God. And we should always be the light and be the example that we're called to be. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. As I just mentioned, he wasn't ashamed of his faith, but he was proud of it. As should we. Too many times, though, we see that we're afraid to share our faith, maybe because people won't think we're cool anymore. They won't want to be around us because they think we're weird or we're different. Or maybe because we're ashamed to pray even before we we say a meal or we're eating because we have different morals than them and values, unlike our friends. And they don't want to think differently of us. In fact, maybe then. It's time not to be friends with them anymore if that's what they think of you because of your faith and your walk and your relationship with Christ. Be happy. Be excited that you love this man, Jesus, who died on the cross for you and I so we can go to heaven with him. Be excited and giddy. Some of you are facing a really difficult situation, much like Titus and Crete, as I mentioned earlier. Because remember, Titus was left by himself in Crete called to appoint elders in every town. That was a big situation that he was faced with. And you might be dealing with a circumstance and a situation that it seems really big and really hard that God has called you to overcome though. And maybe through your faithfulness, you might see people draw closer to Christ through the way that maybe God has turned your marriage around or maybe having faith Even during your cancer or your pain, whatever the case may be, you have praised God during your struggles. And this may not sound too promising at this point in time, but God has called you and you alone to take this journey alongside him and given you a great opportunity to help others who are suffering as a time as this or struggling with their walk with Christ. Where you could be a helping hand to them. Remember how valuable God 
thinks you are to take on a difficult task. And he wants us to finish the race. You came too far not to finish it. You came so far. You got to finish the race that God has for us. As Acts 20, 24 says, however, I consider my life worth noting to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. God has given you this task. Go complete it so you can help others as we're called to help. Remember, when God calls you to do something difficult, he has entrusted you with a great opportunity, a responsibility that no one else can do because he has chosen you for this opportunity. Um, David. David was a young boy at this moment in time when he was given an opportunity that I believe most of us would be very scared of. But not David. He took it head on and he was excited. He was excited about it. And it talks about it in 1 Samuel 17 through 16 through 39. It says for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now, Jesse to his son, David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set it out as Jesse has directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of suppliers, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David, he heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He, he comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. But he will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. But David asked a great question. He asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? I love that. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. 
Saul replied, you are not able to go against him, this Philistine. No way and fight him. You're only a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David replies to Saul and he says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I sized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear who rescued me from the hand of his Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them all. See, David sees Goliath's challenge and the fear of Israel's soldiers. He saw how scared they were. But something inside of David, he said, I'm not scared of this guy who's bigger, who's stronger, who has more um, capability strength wise than me who um, is used to fighting in war David was prepared to fight Goliath because he had something so different than Goliath didn't had and he had the Holy Spirit dwelling and residing in him David's training as a shepherd though prepared him to take on Goliath and David was prepared to fight Goliath, because he was responsible to do so and was called to do so. I know a lot of you here this morning are called to do something. God has called you to do something, yet you're afraid to do it. Whatever the case may be, you are afraid to do it, but God has called you to do it. Take that leap of faith and do it because God will take care of you if he's telling you to do it. Paul reminds us of also three responsibilities that Titus had that he wanted him to fulfill in chapter one of Titus. And the first one was to preach the word of God. Paul emphasizes the importance of the word of God because the word of God is truth and it gives us guidance, counsel, direction. And it's the blueprint how we are to live our lives for Christ. It is a tool to help us navigate and get through this difficult thing called life. The second responsibility is to ordain qualified leaders. And we see in verses 6 through 10 some of the attributes they should have that I already mentioned earlier. The third responsibility, very important as well, is to silence false teachers. Even now there are so many people teaching this word, the Bible, that are false. It's so sad to me. So sad and people are falling for this. So therefore, we must educate ourselves with the word of God and watch out for the red flags. Paul encourages Titus to focus on the truth, regardless of what false teaching was happening at that moment. And to not allow it to brainwash him and his decision or his walk on life. This is the same for us here today. We must stand firm in our walk with Christ. Be knowledgeable. Keep our eyes open and know the truth. A mighty little recap of Titus 1 is faith comes by hearing the word of God, also by being in the word. We're anointed and called by God, and we must also preach the word. As we're called to do, let's go into all the world 
and preach the gospel to all creation. Very important because the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of harvest, but the workers are few. Let's make the workers a lot more. Come on, let's be one of those workers. In chapter 2, if you want to go there, of Titus, we learn that God's word is for all ages. We're given the type of members as well and a church, both the elder as well as the younger crowd, excuse me. And what represents a healthy church? A church needs both young, older crowd and should not only minister, but also encourage one another. You understand, it doesn't matter your age, race, ethnicity. The Bible doesn't discriminate. Also, in this chapter, we're given examples and instructions as elders of the church to help raise up leaders alongside us and those who come way after us. We have the opportunity, honor, and privilege to lay out the foundation for others to help guide them and disciple them and to disciple alongside them. We must be an example to the believer, non-believer, and the one who's also fallen away from the Lord, which I believe so many times we forget about them. We forget to reach out to them and say, hey, I know you're falling, but give them a hand. Call. Ask how you can pray for them. Ask how you can help them and how you can be a leader to them and lead them back to Christ as their lost sheep. In 1 Timothy 4.12, we find Paul setting the guidelines to Timothy that specifies significant guidelines for setting a godly example, which says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Doesn't matter your age, guys. You may be young and listening here and you think you're too young to be used by God. But God doesn't put an age limit on any age. Not at all. You're not too young whatsoever. We need more young youth to be examples to look to, as well as older folks. A healthy church is one where you see the members helping others towards the same goal, growing in their walk with Jesus Christ and helping that brother or sister who's struggling. Because you guys, I've met some of the most mature Christians who are young. And it just burns desire in me. And it's amazing to see. And at the same time, I have seen some of the most immature Christians who are more than double my age. But what we need is right now at this moment in time, we need to all come together, all ages, races, and lift up the name above all names and grow in our walk together as we make up the body of Christ. It isn't this building I'm in this morning. It isn't this building that you're in this morning. It's us. And it starts with us at home, being a leader at home to our children, being a father to our children, because they look up to us at a very young age. They start saying things that we say at a very young age. Trust me. A little recap of chapter two I came up with is teach 
others how to live and be the example. Make sure what we teach is sound doctrine. Take the lead and lead by example, regardless, like I said earlier, regardless of your age, encourage others and lead them to Christ. And turn to chapter three. In chapter three, Paul reminded Titus about the main theme of the letter and insisted that God's people are to learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to not live unproductive lives. A lot of us live unproductive days. We have things that we want to get done. We have laundry. We have maybe a sermon to get done. And we said, man, all we are doing is strolling on Facebook for 24 hours. Some of us do not know about time management. And us as believers, we have a description to do. And it's we are saved for a reason. It's in order to do good and to help others who are struggling. In the, two for, uh, in the first two verses, it talks about not having slander or saying hatred, things about our government. And including myself, let me just say, especially in these last two years, wow, I have said some stuff like, man, this world doesn't make sense. This government doesn't know their tush from their elbow. Like, they don't know anything. It's been crazy. I remember one of the craziest things to me that didn't make any sense was when we would need to wear masks and hopefully it doesn't come back to that but anyways when we would have to wear masks inside of a restaurant but man when we go to a table we could take it off it didn't make any sense to me but the thing is this some of us here this morning watching or here are struggling because we have been wearing masks physically for so long and hiding our masks with our sin. And we've been trying to drown it out, maybe with pain, um, drowning out our pain, maybe with drugs or, or sleeping around or even maybe overdosing with pain pills. Because we've been wearing a mask, thinking everything's fine, everything's dandy, coming to church on Sundays, Wednesdays, Fridays, whatever the day you come to church is. Thinking, you know what, I could hide behind this sin that I've been holding on to for so long. But you're not happy and you're not satisfied because you've been going to the wrong well for so long. It's time to come to Christ. In verse 3, we are also reminded and slapped in the face with a reality check. And it's this, I want to ask you, how were you, how was I, before we were saved? How were we, as we were once pretty messed up, pretty screwed up, huh? foolish, being hated, hating one another, doing stupid things. Some of us still do. Stupid things. Because, you know, you understand something. It is so easy to judge and forget how our past was because God erased it. And we don't like to look back at that. But if you do for a minute, you look back and you think, man, you know what? You're right. Yet, it is so easy to judge. And we tend to do it so much. And we gossip so much. Oh, did you see what this person was wearing? Oh, did you see how, how did they make the money? They said they didn't have money, but they're driving this, that, and the other. Gossip. It needs to stop. And have hatred towards others. But do you remember how you were before you came to know 
the Lord. Some of you are walking around for a very long time in your Christian walk. And you've thought that this whole time you can see when, in fact, you've really been blind. And I don't mean physically, but if you really looked in the mirror and said, you know what, have I been walking the walk? No, in fact, a lot of us, we could physically say it here today that our fruit's pretty dry, that we haven't really, you know, we know the word of God maybe from front to back, but we haven't been living it. Our fruit's pretty dry. We do not water it, so it can't grow. What we see too much today is actually the complete opposite of what Titus is telling us here in Titus. And what we see a lot is you hear that saying, the blind leading the blind. Well, really, that is what you see a lot among us in the church today. A lot of us at home, instead of doing what Titus tells us to do, you see a lot of us doing the complete opposite. Some of you here today, believing your sin is too big for God. This is because it's so hard to grasp the mercy and the grace and the unforgiveness that God gives us every single day. Every single day that we wake up and we have breath in our lungs is another day of God's grace and mercy where we get to praise him. And it's another day here today. He's ready to meet you here today. And let's be honest. A lot of us, we know about Christ. Some of us has fallen away from him, but we don't want to have a relationship with him because we like the sin that we're living in. We don't want to change. It's an excuse for us. We don't want to change our lives around. We rather continue to live in the sin that we're living in. My favorite part of Titus, all of Titus, It's only a book of three chapters, but it's chapter three, four through seven. When it talks about our savior saving us, I get so excited about that. Not because we deserve it, but because the love that he has for every single one of us. It was his mercy and his grace that saved us. We were given another shot at life, at heaven because of the pain, because of the torment, the nails, the blood. That was spilled in Calvary on the cross for you and for me and by us accepting Christ in our lives and in our hearts and being born again. That is what allows us to go to heaven with our Lord and Savior. Man, Paul was a man who knew much, so much about God's grace. As Titus ends with this common phrase, yet so powerful, short but powerful, grace be with you all. What does this mean? Well, Paul shared his faith with the Jews and Gentiles, even to the point of suffering as a criminal. Are you willing to do that here this morning? Have you done it? Because there's going to be a point in our lives if we're still here. Only God knows when he's going to come. And there's going to be a point in our lives where we have a decision to make. In Paul's final letter, he declares, even though he suffered imprisonment and persecuted for his faith, he witnessed God's grace time and time again. Short recap of Titus 3. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Now that the Holy Spirit dwells within me, I want to do what is good. I want to set our hearts and minds towards heavenly things, not things of this world anymore. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 tells us just that. 
It says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on heavenly things, not on earthly things. For you die and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I know I talked about David earlier, but I want to finish that chapter. So if we could open Bibles to 1 Samuel 17, 40 through 51. Because at this point in time, again, David was just a young boy when he's facing this huge Goliath. But David is a warrior for Christ. I mean, he's a man after God's own heart. Remember, he calls David that and only David that. And we know that David's much younger. He's much shorter in stature at this point in time. In fact, some scholars say he was around four to five feet tall. Goliath, on the other hand, we read in 1 Samuel 17, 4, it says a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, which means in English, it means is nine feet, nine inches tall, about double the height, probably double the strength, much older, much more experienced, much more training than David had. But the thing that he was missing, the key thing he was missing, he didn't have the Holy Spirit living in him. And David did. David had the Holy Spirit dwelling within him, that he had the faith and the trust to overtake this man. And he said, I'm going to defeat this giant. He's not going to overtake Israel. There's no way. God is who he says he is. So David, as we read the book, he had the right attitude, the right faith as he believed in the living God of Israel. That he could and would save any who battled in his name. David's faith, in fact, it was so strong that he would volunteer himself. He would volunteer himself and fight this giant, this Philistine giant, more than twice his size. One who was experienced in fighting. And he was just a young shepherd boy with no experience of battle. And Goliath was a battled, hardened man of war from his youth, starting at a very young age. But that meant nothing to David. He wouldn't listen to the words of doubt, fear, sorrow, fear, sorrow. David believed how powerful and mighty our king was. And he was ready to take this giant on. So David, he hurls a stone from his sling and he hits Goliath and hits Goliath in the center of his forehead. And right after that, Goliath falls straight on his face to the ground. And David, the awesome warrior he is, he later cuts off his head for our Lord and Savior. Now let's read together 1 Samuel 17, 40 through 51. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bear in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was 
little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by my sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out the stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and he killed him. David ran, stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the shelf. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. My favorite part is the ending. When the Philistine saw That their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Now, some of you here this morning have giants. Some of you will encounter giants. I mean, attacks from the enemy. And some of you will fall for it. But I'm here today to share with you, God wants you to be victorious. He created us to be victorious to be soldiers for him if it's his will he wants us to be strong and of good courage do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the lord your god is with you wherever you may go my favorite bible verse of all joshua 1 9 you weren't created to live in fear sorrow torment depression unworthiness or loneliness As I mentioned, you were created to be victorious like David, the young boy who had all the odds stacked against him. There was no way he could defeat this giant, but he did just that because he had God on his side. Deuteronomy 24 says, for the Lord, your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. To give you victory, I want to end with this. So many of us want to get better in something in our life. Maybe that's spiritually, maybe that's something physically. But we don't want to put in the effort, the work, the time, the dedication. But you can't finish something. For instance, you can't finish a marathon without taking the first step. And then the second step. You can't play basketball without... Taking a dribble. You can't be a leader without taking the lead. You can't have faith without trust. Because there's no growth without pain. You have to act upon your thoughts. To get where you want to be, 
You have to put in the hard work because without faith, your works are dead. God bless you all abundantly.